Welcome to Off Good Ireland Podcast. In this episode, we speak to Sven Longshanks and No Chance. The two guys are English nationalists. Um, it's a really interesting conversation. We had so many topics. Please like, share and subscribe. And if you'd like to support us, you can buy us a coffee at the link below. Thank you all so much. Welcome to Off Grid Ireland, folks. Um, tonight we'll be speaking to um, two nationalists from uh, the UK. Um, um, we'll open it up here to uh, no chance there. Will you go first? Um, just introduce yourself and uh, welcome to Off Grid Ireland. Delighted to have you on. Just for inviting me, Gavin. Uh, yeah, I'm go by no chance on YouTube. I'm thankfully still there. Uh, I upload content not as regular as I did because of, of work, but I'm going to get back in the groove soon, so go and subscribe if, if you fancy it, but my kind of commentary is targeted more towards like Scottish politics and then UK politics is a kind of wider thing, but my primary focus is kind of Scotland and all the degeneracy that's going on. I'm sure you're all aware of, you've probably saw the, the articles about Putting rapists in prison uh, with women or transgenders, which is a great decision. Uh, but I'm sure we'll get all get onto that. But yeah, short and sweet. I'm on YouTube. Find me there. I also shit post on Twitter from time to time, so you can get me there as well. But cheers. Good stuff, good stuff. I actually may follow you on Twitter. I didn't realise you were on Twitter. I'm only getting familiar with your stuff. Um, Patricia, she's, she finds the best people and everyone she finds are absolute legends. So I'm only getting familiar with your stuff and everything, but I, Patricia only gets the best people on. So that's, I'm delighted to have you. Um, can we get yourself on there, Sven? Can you give us a bit of an intro and uh, we'll kick it off? Yeah, I'm Sven Longshanks. I'm a producer at RadioAlbion.com. I host podcasts there as well as producing podcasts for other hosts, I do a daily show, Daily Nationalist, which is a half-hour current affairs news analysis show. Uh, we have the Parish of the Patriots on Tuesday, which is uh, a Texan nationalist, evangelical, sort of a comedy, Christian-type show. Uh, we, re we simulcast Patriotic Weekly Review on Wednesdays. We also have the Orthodox Nationalist, which is uh, mainly Russian Eastern Orthodox history and philosophy and how it ties in with nationalism. And we've got a music show on Thursdays, the Audio Insurgency, and then on Fridays, we do Patriotic History with two other co-hosts. Um, we like to look at um, European contributions to history, going all the way back to the beginning of the earliest empires and the Fertile Crescent and making their way into Europe and uh, and on from there. And we're look, looking at British history at the moment, at the Saxon times, but we've covered all of it going back before um, the sort of mainstream history that you're taught about. That the mainstream historians go on about we, we go a little bit further back than that we go back before the romans um to brutus uh, the trojan that came over and all the history from that on with the fights with the romans with the wars against the romans defeating julius caesar twice which they don't tell us about in the british history and uh, onwards from that into the saxons and that that's what i most enjoy doing is the historical stuff we also do, as I say, current affairs, all, all sorts of stuff. I've been doing it for about 10 years. Um, it's had different names. It started off as Radio Stormer, then it was Radio Arian, and now it's Radio Albion. And it's become sort of more targeted to a wider branch of people than it was than it was at first, basically. Um, and yeah, and you can find it at RadioAlbion.com, and you can also find me on Twitter, 
and gab but most of the material is at radioalbing.com because if, if it's hosted anywhere else then it runs a risk of being taken down so it's uh, all available on mp3 we've done stuff some stuff on ireland i was just looking back over one of the patriotic history ones that we did we did uh, two two episodes on jeremiah in ireland jeremiah the prophet which was quite interesting looking at that and um where you can find him in the in the irish records um that's something you might be interested in and also um did a couple of truthful out radio episodes looking back at um some of the ways that ireland was treated during the days of the british empire and we also did a series on winston churchill and uh, all the naughty thing bad things that he got up to but yeah there's, there's loads of stuff on there just check out radioalbin.com and i'm also involved with pa wales i do a lot with um joe marsh and the rest of the lads at pa wales um so i don't just do we've lost i end up doing um activism with pa wales as well did you say you lost me there a bit no sorry actually i think it's on my end i'm getting some rubber banding no lad everything i've heard most of what you said and it's absolutely fantastic and um i was actually had questions i was thinking as you were speaking and then you were kind of you were talking about that jeremiah thing so I think the two of us now we'll have some absolutely we'll have some serious bands now about all that stuff. It sounds fantastic what you're doing, absolutely fantastic. Love it. Great, thanks, Gavin. Yeah, I'm sorry if the uh, if the audio quality isn't that bad. I mean, you're, you're coming through fine here, so hopefully it was just a it was just a glitch. Anyway, I, I was just saying, you know, we have a lot of stuff on the website, and people can find it at RadioAlbion.com, and there's like two or three podcasts that uh, are published every day and then we just repeat them at the weekends and i get on with um other stuff at the weekends but i do it full time basically just making podcasts and producing audio and working at pa wales i know it sounds brilliant um no i love all that stuff and my history was in school for me was um i love history and that and all the alternative history i'm only getting into it like in the last maybe four or five years um so yeah i'd say now we'd have some great great old chats i don't know i don't i'm not i'm not, I'm not coming from a place of i know anything it's just I'm, I'm open to it all i've seen these things and you know it's it there, there's holes there rabbit holes then that need to be gone to the bottom of all over and discrepancies and stuff i'm sure then you're probably aware of this british israelism stuff and all this kind of like i've, I've read some of these books from the 1800s and i don't know what to make of them to be honest with you and this whole thing with the hill of Tara and the lafayette stone and the Scotia and all this. Do you know what I mean? It's um, it's uh, it's interesting stuff. Well, they dug up a lot of um, a lot of stuff that you really can't discount the evidence of, um, but they sort of used it in a in a different way. That they wanted to use it to say, well, we should be ruling over these other peoples, and that's not what it says in the Bible at all. It says you should stay separate from these other peoples. But if you look at um, the the evidence that they found, um, tying in the Saxons with the Scythians and the Cymri with the Cimmerians, and, the, and both of them can be traced back to just around about Assyria, that sort of area there. And that's where the tribes of Israel were, were put to, the 10 tribes of Israel. And then there's records of um, them being in Europe. Flavius Josephus says that they're, they're all in Europe and uh, there's far too many of them to actually count the number of. And uh, the, there's, a, there's a, a wall carving um, in Persia uh, on the side of a mountain, and it's in four different languages. And in one language, it, it calls the people there the Hebiru. In another language, it calls them the Scythians. And in another language, it calls them the Cimmerians. And, and the, well, not the Cimmerians, but the Gomri, which is where we get the word Cimmerian from. So the Scythians, the Cimmerians, and the Hebrews were all originally the same people 
in that area and that's where they can be traced traced to and then you get the Cymry or the Cimmerians coming into um, coming in across Europe into Britain and you get the the Greek um, historians writing about the Cimmerians there then you get the Scythians that come in after and the Scythians end up in Germany and as their way on their way in the, the Roman writers start referring to them as the as the Germani Scythians meaning the genuine Scythians that's why Germany was, uh, it's actually referred to as Scythia in some of the British histories, because we knew that they were the Scythians. And that word Scythian got, got um, transposed into the word Saxon. So you can see that um, the Germans, the, the British, all the North Europeans pretty much originated in, in these people groups. And you can go back, you go back further than that, and you can look and you can see that um, during the time of, of uh, Moses, there were two kingly lines from Judah. There was an, an eldest branch was Zara, and his and his brother was was Phares. Zara was actually born first, and Zara disappears at the time of Moses um, when they're uh, in Egypt. He leaves with all his people, and there's a census that's done, and his name is missing from that census and all his people. And then you look at the pagan histories, and they say that um, key crops and and cow coal and Dada were the really important ones, and Calcol uh, and Dada were were sons of Zara Judah. Um, and that's where the, the kingly line came from for the uh, kings of Troy. And uh, they can trace that back to Ireland as well with the high kings of Ireland. But then you get the story with Jeremiah, which is further later on. And Jeremiah left with um, King Zedekiah's daughter, who was the last daughter of the king of Judah. And he went to Egypt and there was a tower there called Tarpanes, which is actually called the Tower of the Jews' Daughter. And uh, Jeremiah supposedly started up a, a, a school there and there's records of this school. And then he came to Milesia with this um, with this daughter that he had with him. And the daughter ended up marrying a Milesian prince. And they had a, a daughter that's called Scotta, I think. And then they came to Ireland and they came with them and they brought the stone, um, the stone of Bethel, which is supposedly the stone that, um, I forget which who it was. I think it was Jacob. He put his head on the stone and he saw a ladder with angels going up and down the ladder. And then that um, stone supposedly got taken from Ireland to Scotland and all the kings of Ireland were, were crowned on it then all the kings of Scotland and then uh, Edward I took it from Scotland and brought it down to London and then all the kings from that time on in, in uh, England were, were crowned upon this stone and there's another stone that they have um, in Ireland which they say is is the stone the, the, the Bethel stone but it doesn't look like it to me because it, it so, looks so more like that, uh, just I want to ask I have a question on yeah. that because you seem to be very knowledgeable so are these say the monarchy in, in the uk are they larping like as the original bloodline then is that the, is that what's going on there if they've taken the stone out here of ireland and you know there's other question marks about i'm not sure you probably know more about it than me but like are they just larping then sitting on that stone and all that like and it, it, they actually have no connection to it like, i'm not about the monarchy not the people well, no, I'd say that all the all royalty goes back to Judah because his line was 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 given the the royal line basically, and the scepter was was supposed to not depart from Judah. So you had one line of royal kings, which is where the house of David comes from, which is where Jesus came from, that stayed in uh, in Palestine basically, and in that area that became like the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah, which effectively took in the whole of um, Syria as well, and that, that they were the Phoenician Empire. And then you had this other line that came from Zara that uh, started the line of, of Troy, which became the Trojan kings and then descended from them. You get, um, uh, what's his name? One, one of them married the daughter of Latium, the king of um, 
Italy at that time. And then they started off the Roman Empire. And then you have Brutus that comes to Britain. So you had all, all these royal lines going back originally to Judah. And then what happened with the, um, the, the kingly line got cut off in, in Judah because the Israelites were um, take, marrying the daughters of strange gods and, and going off into You're paganism. You know, this is it's brilliant stuff, but just um, Clive is here as well. We have to bring him in. But just I'll ask you this then, just before we will go on to the topics that we had, because this we will definitely, I love this, we'll be, definitely have you on again. I, I love all this stuff. But just to ask you on all, all this, um, do you know the way they say the Basque people are very kind of related to Ireland, the people in the Basque region? And the people in the Basque region also have very um, frequency of this RH negative blood and all this kind of stuff. How does that tie into this? Stuff that you're talking about or does it tie into it or do you know um well isn't that what gives red hair i think or, or very light skin the rh i must admit i haven't i haven't done much research into that but all the european peoples effectively go back to the same group of people you know if, if you, you can go back before like the the times of israel and jude and what have you and you had uh, noah and he had three sons shem japheth and ham and there were three three brothers so they were all of the same race they couldn't be any other race they and if you look back in in the bible in right uh, no 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 that's cool no but then i'll uh, put it up again this. just let yeah. me just let me finish this yeah and all all of all of the sons all the nations that are listed there there's about 60 of them they can all be traced back they're all white nations they were all white people like they were the earliest white people basically and then from that you get all the rest of it and then you, later on you get like this israel line but all of the royalty goes back to that same line and um when jeremiah brought this daughter into ireland that that line then was like the davidic line and it remarried back in with this zara line so i wouldn't say that they're larping um the kings they're not larping but they don't represent the people anymore which is a, a really sad thing but all of their histories if you look at them they all have family trees that go back to that time and if you investigate it and you look at the like the earliest records about it you'll find that it is confirmed but yeah that's that's probably where we should leave it there if you want to move on to something else or, or clive wants to say oh, something. no but even just on that like if if the stone came out of ireland say just for the to just just keep it on that basic level of the, that they coronate themselves on the on the stone like if it came out of ireland and you know we have our own gaelic and gale and all that kind of stuff how could how could they not be larping by sitting on a stone that came out of our land and they were had come and been an invader into our land if that makes sense i'm not trying to be divisive but just for your rationale well they took it with them there's one of one of the kings that was in ireland that went up into scotland because the the irish who were known as the scots they colonized scotland and they took the stone with them when they were in scotland and then by the time you get to um edward the first he looks at the old histories and the old histories say that the, the king of england is also the king of the other lands of um ireland scotland and wales because originally if you go back to brutus the trojan he this trojan prince that's what he was that's what he was the king of and he was responsible for the for the whole of that whole of the kingdom although there were separate kings he was like king over them all so edward the first was trying to um relive that he was basically saying look i have the right because i've conquered england because i've conquered wales i have the right to be the king over, over all and the, the stone was in scotland and he took the stone down to london but he is related to those lines anyway. And the reason why the stone ended up getting to Scotland in the first place is because the kings that were in Ireland took it with them into Scotland when, when they colonised Scotland. And the stone itself had come all the way from the Holy Land with Jeremiah to get into Ireland in the first place. So it, it's effectively 
owned by the people rather than the the land that it's on you know this is a problem that we have we, we link everything up with geography and we shouldn't we should be linking things up with with family lines and, and patriarchs and looking at our people as as an extended family rather than looking you know it's it making out that it's so important that somebody's born on a patch of dirt and and suddenly their loyalties are to this patch of dirt they're not their loyalties are, are to their ancestry and you know and that's that's the important thing and this goes into the problem that we now have with museums where they're saying, oh, you, you know, you need to be giving this stuff back to Africa, giving this stuff back to India, giving this stuff back to Egypt. Well, we are the rightful inheritors of it because it was our, our family that actually built all this stuff. When you look back at the, the ancient empires and Egypt and, and the rest of it, it's all built by white people. And, and it, white people are now only in Europe and they do belong to us. We're the only ones that have preserved this stuff. If you look at what ISIS do, they just smash it up in Syria, destroy all this stuff in the same way that um, Black Lives Matter do today and this. There's evidence of the same thing happening in the Indus River Valley civilization. That, that was smashed up basically by a, a different cast of people that were living in that land. And, and that was another white civilization. So you need to, we need to look at things as it belongs to our family. And with what we're facing at the moment with, um, you know, all these peoples coming into Europe, all these different people groups, we have to start thinking as an extended family, not um, thinking so much of loyalty to in individual countries because our countries are ruled by people that have turned their backs on their family they're not they're not um doing what they should be doing they're not doing their best for their people anymore whereas we need to set an example and make sure that we do our best for our people and you know and and understand that you know there may be things in the past like you're saying well maybe that should go back to ireland but the fact is it's still being held by european people and, and that's the important thing i think I know I'd have to agree with you and what resonated there, what you were saying there about pulling down statues and all that. That's what you do when you're being conquered. Like you've seen what happened there in Iraq and they pull down them or in, you know, in Libya or whatever. Like they're coming down now, pulling down statues across the UK and in America, you know, down to South, everywhere. And in Ireland, we're, we're, it's a similar uh, thing going on. So that is, that's, you know, we are under attack as a people. And I agree with most of your statements there. I just want to bring in Clive there and um, welcome, Clive. I know we went off on a bit of a tangent there, but I'm sorry, but I, that whole alternative history is a, is a bit of a passion of mine. So no, no, it was it was a good lesson. It was interesting. There's a, a lot of things in there that I was completely oblivious to, but I think the everything Sven mentioned there is the issue we have today is they're completely erasing and rewriting our history. I'm sure there'll be some historian, quote unquote, that will claim that. Cheddar man's ancestors actually were crowned on the stone, and that that's 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 the real history of the stone, and the white people stole it. Like that's again a BS we hear all the time. Like I'm sure you've heard that Cheddar man. It was just a complete fantasy, a way of destroying that amazing story Sven just told about all of our ancestors. Yeah, they're doing it in Germany as well, weren't they? Recently, they just tried to um, find somebody back from ancient German history, and they tried to say that they were black as well. As far as, far as I'm aware, the the um, DNA that in in somebody who is uh, like a sub-Saharan African, the, the DNA code which actually gives them their black skin, you find the same sort of code in Europeans, but it gives us freckles. So, you know, even if they did find that same DNA sequence, it would have been somebody with freckles. It, it would have been, wouldn't have been somebody with a high melanin content. 
It, it does something different in Europeans to what it actually does to sub-Saharan Africans, as far as I'm aware. So that, that's why they make they they make this deliberate mistake and try and say, oh well, these people were black because they have this this DNA DNA code. But it it wouldn't have actually made them black. It would have just meant they had freckles, from what I understand of it. But they're always doing that, trying to. Um, they're basically trying to trying to ruin our, our heritage for us and um, insert themselves into it as well. There's um, there's records of North Africans being in in Britain and today they'll look at that and they'll say, oh, it's North Africans, Sub-Saharan Africans, black people were in Britain. They weren't. North Africa was peopled by the Vandals at that time and the Germanic tribes that had taken over from the Romans in um, in Carthage, what is now Tunisia. And they took over there and then one of them came over to England and it's, it's written in um, the records, the, the king of Africa came over to England and he was a Vandal king and he, he kicked the Saxons ass basically, I think then he went to Ireland as well and then he ended up going back into France with a big army and black people today will say oh well that, that, that shows that there were black people in history because it says Africa but he, it, he was a white man, he was from the um, Germanic tribes because North Africa was held by the Germanic tribes at that time. North Africa, um, it was part of Phoenicia. It was settled by a Phoenician colony. Uh, I think it was about 1000 BC. So it, it was effectively European. Only these were white people that didn't originate in Europe. They originated in, in the Near East, uh, in Phoenicia. And they settled settled North Africa. And that was, that was white all the way up to um, uh, Hannibal that then goes to war with Rome and the Punic Wars. And it, it was all white right the way up until... I don't know, probably about 4th, 5th century AD. And you, you did have non-whites there uh, and getting in larger and larger numbers, but it wasn't really until um, the advent of Islam when you had Muhammad and the Arabs that would steam into countries and um, just mess with the whole caste system by interbreeding with, with the people that they um, subjected, basically, because it says in Islam that you can, you can take these slaves. Um, and it doesn't make any distinction in, in between ethnicity. Whereas up till that point, people had always sort of stayed within their castes and, and all had uh, caste systems. Even the Saxons had caste systems and the Welsh had caste systems going right right way up to the 10th century. I've just been looking at um, some of them recently, like in the laws of this uh, Weldar, how are all good? And in that, it mentions about these different castes that they had. And you could be born a free man. Um, you could be born something that was up above that. And then you had the aristocracy. And then there was the lowest one which was a servant caste and also foreigners were there and foreigners had to actually be in the land for 10 generations and they had to have been well behaved for 10 generations because they had to have somebody vouching for them before they could then be naturalized as well. So ethnicity was, was really important in the past. And yet we're told today, oh no, there was black people there because it says in the history that there was the, you know, Africans there or North Africans. And then they'll, you know, recently they've even found, um, a, a body that says is North African from that time, which means it was somebody white from that time, and they'll even use that and say, "Oh, this was this. She must have been a slave girl." Well, if she was a, if she was a, a slave girl, then why have you said that she's related to the people that are there? Um, and they would have been white people because if you look at the history, it tells us the exact time when um, these these vandals came over and when this African king came over from Africa. And when they talk about the Romans at the time that they um, built a wall. Again, it says that there were troops that were brought over from just, North just Africa. Hold on, hold on there, Nat, right? I want to ask you something there for a second on that, because do you know the way there's this, um, what do you call it, uh, in America, they have this thing where they think that they, they built the pyramids. Do you know anything about that? Where they, You know, to say that these, um, 
the African Americans they're saying now that they were the pyramid builders and all that. Did you see that stuff? That they're uh, the most the, the the of Israel. <laughs> Is it like yeah, you know, yeah, we yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were changed. Yeah, there was, there was a short period, I think, for two generations that the Nubians were controlling it. It was for about 100 years. Uh, but Egypt was one of the first places to actually have multiculturalism. You, know, you can go back to, I think, 2000 BC, and and there's a, there's a prayer of a guy called Ipu Wur, something like that, and he writes this prayer. And he, and he talks about how there are different people that have come into Egypt and they're misusing everything um, and they're being taxed and they're actually and like they lose all their caste system and they basically being 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 overruled by a foreign people. And then you get um, Alexander the Great comes in and he sets everything up right again. And then by the time you get to the time of, of Christ, just after that, everything falls falls to pieces again. So you've had caste systems in Egypt and you've had it set up by white people. Originally, it was set up by white people. And then you've had others come in, whether it's been whether they brought did, slaves did in there. Robert what? Seffer. Do you watch any Robert Seffer stuff or do you, um, Clive? Do, do I do, does anyone, anyone watch any Robert Seffer stuff? It's some really good stuff. I have not, no, but same Alan Carter. I'll have a look. I've heard of him. Does, does he somebody that um, researches the swastika as well and writes about that? Robert Seffer? All of it, like he goes into all the esoteric of all the different traditions. I, but the thing is with him, like you have to interpret it yourself. So he presents the information, do you know, the Amorites or the Amorites and, you know, all these different, you know, similar to what you're talking about there. Um, uh, you know, Iron Shirt, or sorry, I'm stuttering over myself. But yeah, he goes into the Irish thing, you know, and um, what do you call him? An anthropologist. An anthropologist. He calls himself the most dangerous anthropologist in the world or something. I don't know. But um, yeah, he's very good. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. I mean, I think he, he traces things back going back tens of thousands of years, whereas I would say, well, we can only really trace things back six or seven thousand years and we know that the people then were the same as us today when we see the bodies um if we find bodies that are like twenty thousand years ago they're, they're nothing like us so even though they may actually be in europe doesn't mean they're our ancestors you know they're, they're predecessors that were in in that land but people migrate all the time um and, and white people have migrated all over all over the world so i would have a difference with him on that aspect but yeah i've seen some of his work it, it's great and, and what i'm talking about here people should research it for themselves you know because i'm I, I research this myself and then try and find little links to it and yes there is some information from british israel but it's also going back to the earliest records and and seeing what people have written and you also get christian identity today which which is the logical progression of british israel um which basically is racial and ethnic and and bases everything upon ethnicity but again that's another issue but you have a lot of researchers in that that dig all this yeah, information no, look, look, i tell you we'll, we'll, i'll definitely well, no i'll definitely sorry i think we're speaking i'm it's probably my it's a probably on my end i'm probably speaking over you a bit no we'll um I love all this stuff and I've been I've been following some of that Christian identity and all that stuff and we'll definitely we'll probably get you on or we'll we'll talk maybe a bit longer or we'll or stay on after the show. Um I love all this stuff and a hundred percent. But I want to bring Clive in here and we'll just go on the topics of the day because you know, just to keep keep it interactive and um but um I'm loving this now. I, I have a new best friend for life now. We're going to tear strips off each other and teach each other lessons now and everything in, in the future. I love it. Uh, Clive, can we hit on just this sturgeon thing? What is the ins and outs of it? 
how why has she stepped down the whole lot it's it, have we hope in, in what's after happening to us well they, they get a long and short of it as she basically hung herself on that transgender issue the place in that male prisoner and a female only prison that has a maternity ward uh, there as well it's madness but people are speculating that there are investigations going on just now into the SNP's corruption so they think she's kind of jumped before she was pushed if you know what I mean but uh, I think a lot of it is kind of boils down to the amount of members that were lost during that whole controversy I've heard up to 30,000 members potentially uh, cancelled SNP membership over that so I think they needed a, a kind of fresh leader but Nicola's been in, in politics for 16 years and she was first minister for eight and she's not really got get much to be proud of I've, I've saw a, a list of achievements that people are putting together and a lot of it is just like promising free things to people which <laughs> we all know that isn't free it's it's a burden on the taxpayer uh she's welcoming in the world she, they, they said that she dealt with covid great this was the woman that would that was wanting to saw off the bottom of doors and schools to increase ventilation and that would that would clamp things down. Look, she's off her head, she's a complete narcissist. But um the the whole leadership run though, I I think could be quite interesting. We've got I think the the two people I would want in there is either Kate Forbes or Hamza Yusuf. Now for the Kate, she's probably one of the ones that would benefit us and probably your audience when they heard Scottish nationalist you introduced me, like they think he's one of those SNP lunatics and all that. A genuine nationalist that doesn't want the world in. Like that's you know, my position. But Kate, she's one of these people that the media is running with and all the kind of far lefties within the SNP are terrified of her getting in because she claims she's a, a devout Christian. And they believe that her being first minister would be an attack on trannies and abortion. And like, so, if she gets in, the activist group, the activist wing of the SNP, they would they would die out. Basically, they would they would they'd not be as effective. Whereas if Hamza Yusuf gets in, he would just ruin it. He would wreck the SNP, where they would never get in again. I mean, he. He was transport secretary for a while, failed at that. He was justice secretary. There was a big scandal over uh, the kind of hate crime laws he was trying to bring in. He, he's currently health secretary. Uh, he, he was trying to sue a nursery for racism for not accepting his kid in when the owners of the nursery were, were Indian. So it was like he's, the guy's just a complete rocket. So I'm kind of on the line of I would much prefer someone that would go in and basically piss on the ashes of SNP because they deserve it. And hopefully we can get some sane people in there, but <laughs> I don't know. Politics is crazy at the moment. Yeah, I think yeah. I'd like to see Hans Yusuf in there. Yeah, I definitely, definitely like to see uh, him making a mess of things. But I, I do think it's, it's interesting that I've always thought of Scotland as being very traditionalist very traditionalist people and they seem to have worked on that and tried to work on this um accept diversity you're a good person if you accept diversity 
and the Scottish National Party seemed to have got away with that. But then when they pushed it into this gender thing and transgenderism and trying to say that women were the same as men, it seems as that was it. That, that, that was the final straw. And the one other thing I find really interesting about this is it puts nationalists and people on the right in the same space as these um, trans exclusionary radical feminists. So you actually have a lot of feminists that are, are also against men being in women's spaces and, and men being able to self self declare that they're women. And you also get like nationalists and people on the right. And I found that particularly interesting. I, I, I found them um, like some of these extreme feminists, some of their tweets popping up on Twitter and they're, and they're saying some pretty good things. Now, I doubt whether they would be too friendly towards us, but it, it is something that I never thought we would see is like both both sides actually supporting the same thing which which is basically putting a stop to this this transgender craziness and i do do think it's um interesting that that was the final straw you know the, the scots accepted the diversity yeah. and the multiculturalism but they weren't going to accept that one i think that the reason for that is the snp well they, they played the nationalist they try to they get into the minds of people that was all about scotland and the scottish people and then they started changing the, the language slightly. To, it's not Scottish people, it's people of Scotland. So there's more a bigger umbrella. We can include the third world in there that we've just arrived. Some SNP politicians have said that they've been extremists saying, if you exist on our soil, even for an hour and you want to be Scottish, you're Scottish. That, that was the kind of thing they were going with. But they had under the independence fake nationalism so they thought it was about scotland and the scottish people when in reality they were just globalists trying to invite the world in but then when the transgender thing came up they go wait a minute people actually started paying attention like what are these people doing but the the point you make Sven, about the unity of uh right wingers and, and turfs which is the old school feminists that people used to argue with in 2016 uh as i've had Probably the majority of my interactions with them have been kind of positive. Uh, I like to try and use the deconstruction of gender and womanhood and what it means to be a man and a mother and whatever. I use that as an in to go, see if they're deconstructing gender to this degree. Can you not see that they're deconstructing what it means to be a Scotsman, an Irishman, an Englishman? Look, they're doing the exact same thing just on a, an ethnic level. And some people are susceptible. I have had interactions with uh, the fringe, like radical, radical feminists where their politics is basically men evil. And that's why they don't like the transgender thing. And if you try and engage with them on any level, they just fall back to the, the 2016 arguments that just don't really hold any weight. Uh, but no, as it is, it's interesting times. There is a lot of unity happening that you didn't expect to happen. You saw that with COVID as well, where there was all these groups that used to butt heads, then kind of unified to go stop the madness. That is really encouraging, especially to hear that you you know you've been talking to some of these these feminists and and they're, they're reasonable. Just, sorry, sorry, I just want to put in for a sec. I want to go back just for a second to um, Sturgeon, right? Because for me, as an Irish person, we've got this far left agenda been rammed down our necks. Uh, it's just been announced that they want to allow 16-year-old uh, children to basically transition behind their parents' backs. And they've announced that, you know, it's on the cards and it's coming forward. But at the same time, we've Sturgeon and 
Donald Trump and people like that have been hyping it up, like, you know, Scotland's better off without Sturgeon. And I, I agree with him. But um, was, was her resignation directly due to her handling of putting, like, a double male rapist um, into that prison or what like is there any hope like is it all been hyped up like or is has she just who forced her out or what like that's I just want to get to the crux of because it's it's important it's pertinent to the Irish uh, situation I mean well I've heard rumours that it was people are speculating saying there is a lot of scandals and corruption within the SNP that's currently been investigated but when it comes to the, the transgender thing and putting, as you say, the double rapist in the female prison. Um, I've heard that, that this hasn't been confirmed yet, but that the, there's up to about 30,000 members have just went, no, we're not supporting SNP anymore in this madness. And I think because of the, the lack of support, uh, the, she, the decision, she's basically just went, I'm I'm jumping ship here. I think she's still... She was getting it. That you know, she, it was flack. She was just getting it. You know, she was getting flack for. She knew she. I don't know. She knew she fucked up. It's that kind of what you're saying. Well, I think it was more the support base that the SNP have had a kind of solid, loyal support base for for long enough because they've they've ran out. They've, they've they're a one part. Well, they sell themselves as a a, a one issue kind of party, where it's all about independence. And any time you see them on the television, it's independence. This Westminster bad, when in reality, in the back, like in the background, the, the quiet stuff, they're putting all this pro- progressive politics like into into schools. And they're, 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 I don't know if yeah. you remember the sex census where they were asking children about anal sex. Uh, they're teaching them transgenderism. Well, they're doing all these things where people aren't really paying attention. But then with us, can, can I come in on that for a second? Yeah, go on. Okay. You know, yeah, no, because that's exactly what's going on over here. And um, I've seen that, you know, they, she's got national party in her name of the, of the you know, party. And I think it's exactly like what Sinn Féin is doing here. They're like, oh, we, it's, you know, we want to be national. We want to be independent from Britain. Uh, but, you know, so that it's kind of the... You know, it's like the Braveheart rallying cry. They're LARPers. Yeah. LARPers. Yeah. Or, or you know, winging it on, on history that they don't deserve, you know, or, you know what I mean? They're LARPers. That's, yeah, exactly. I know that a lot of people refer to it as Braveheart nationalism. Uh, we are, as they, they get into the, the emotions of people, and as human beings, we process emotions a lot quicker than logic. The emotional brain kicks in like, straight away, and they know that, so they... They tell these magnificent stories and it's all about, say, Ireland and your struggle against the British and the zone right in and that and people because of what they've, their upbringing and uh, their family history, they, they just latch onto that and if they're saying the right thing, they assume that's the right party for them, when in reality they're just a, a, a globalist party that would happily replace anyone and everyone if it means they're going to remain in power. So I think we... Scotland and Ireland, they really need to break this this myth that these parties are nationalist. Uh, they have the interest of the people because they don't. Uh, I, I have arguments a lot with uh, people that are perceived as like unionists, say people that are anti-independence. 
they always talk about how bad nationalism is and how bad the SNP are. They're proof that nationalism bad. And I'm like, stop calling these idiots nationalists. But the furthest thing from it, they're the polar opposite. Uh, Nicola Sturgeon has been, she's on video saying if it was up to her, national would not be in the the party name if she could rename it. But the SNP is a, a kind of brand name now, so there's no change in that. But if she could go back in time, jump in a time machine, that would be eliminated because they know they're not nationalists. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. And do you know what they've done? And it's exactly, it's not exactly the same, but it's very similar to what Sinn Féin have done. And I'm not advocating for anything that they did. Like it's, everyone has their own national identity and there's certain parts you're proud of and there's other parts you're not proud of and all that kind of stuff, right? But what's happened with Sinn Féin is that they are actually... um they're, you know, they're, they're, they, they've done the quick flitch. You know, if you have someone who's a con man or something and he does like the double blind or he, he switches hands, he does the quick switch, you know, yeah. that, you, that you miss. Yeah, that's what they've done on the real good people, on the working class, on the good guys, on the, on the good people that, that what we are or everyday normal people. They did the quick switch. They did, you know what I mean? And they, they've, and well, you're now right they're waking up to it. It's all about distraction. So, Anytime there's a, a scandal, anytime there's any criticism, the the strategy is we'll look over there, look over there. Like they bring up some thing that's not really related, or they try and get into the the emotional side of the the base. Where if the SNP are a, anything that's presented to them, I, I put a video on my my YouTube channel. Yeah, but, but are that, they a nationalist um, party? This is that's the, that was kind of the question I was rooting at, like. It's in the name. It's like Sinn Féin, we ourselves, right? Or it's basically yeah. nationalist or whatever. And it's just, it's it's a pretender. Do you know what I mean? If, if you're a real nationalist, you wouldn't be supporting uh, self-destructive, you know, d- family destroying uh, abortion or, you know what I mean? The the alien, the you know, the terrestrial alien invasion. I won't say extraterrestrial, but you know what I mean? The whole thing that's going on here. If you're a real nationalist, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't, you know, the SNP are... The same, they're pretenders, like them all. We're, I'm not picking on them. If we have it here in Ireland, this is where we're at. We are the outsiders at the moment. I don't think any of us have a real party in power that's actually uh, like-minded with us, with ourselves. But I do think we will in the next the next five years, ten years, we will have, we're going to, like, this is it. This is the, you know, the great awakening. People are rising up. No, I agree. And a lot of conversations that, people as were having years ago are now just part of the discourse whereas before it would be uh, like people would immediately dismiss it or you'd be labelled X, Y and Z and even the labels now they don't have the, the same weight and I do see this being I know it's a very tired and overused point but I do think it is the, the pendulum shifting and I do believe that's going to happen. I'm very optimistic for the future. I'm not one of these people that go so hopeless, don't bother doing anything like Sit in your arse and like, I don't know what's your telly and ignore everything. But like, I do think it's a, a lot of the activism going on just now, the conversations, the everything's getting pushed in our direction, and the our wonderful leaders aren't really helping themselves. Uh, it's <laughs> it is back to that kind of don't believe your lying eyes. But that's what we're constantly told. You see the influx of diversity, massive problems. The transgender issue, huge problems. Like any issue that is put in front of us, they'll just say, 
don't believe that. Even with the, the recent protest in Liverpool, where that, that van was burnt down, the police van, the focus was on the van and the far right had overtaken it. Like they did they basically it was their fault, far right bad. But the majority of the articles you read, there was no mention that a migrant was trying to uh, approach a fifteen year old for sex. Yeah, I can say that's basically what what was going on there. And the people that were protesting were from an extreme left-wing area. It's a Labour area. Liverpool's known for being extremely, extremely left-wing. Straight away, the, the um, papers the next day were trying to say it was to do with patriotic alternative. And um, Laura sent a comment to one of them, Laura, Laura Taylor sent a comment to one of them, and they changed it, and they changed it from patriotic alternative to far right. So basically calling all the people there far right, and then Breitbart picked up on it, and Breitbart reported it again, that it was patriotic alternative that were involved with it. And patriotic alternative weren't involved with it at all. I mean, their protests take place during the day, and they liaise with the police if they're going to be doing a, a public protest. Um, they have a stage there, there's separation between the protesters it's all done very professionally there's, there's no violence there uh, and because of that i think that's why they wanted to try and smear patriotic alternative with this one i mean it, it's highly suspicious that a police van just got left there um on that estate there surrounded by people uh, very very tempting for, for people to attack it of course and then the next day they can say well look, look um there was all this violence there we need to bring in extra laws we need to bring in cordons and all the rest of it, we need to ban these protests. That's that's really what they want to do. Um, I think in in Scotland as well, after the Erskine protest, I saw that there was um, an MP there that was asking, you know, calling for patriotic alternative to be investigated. Um, yeah. they, they basically hate PA for some reason because they're so was, good in the film, I think. That was a magic well, chat. She's a, a Can I come in on that for a second? Yeah, go for just on the PA thing. Because um, I, I have great respect for Patriotic Alternative and uh, Sam and the lads and Mark Collette, right? Now, I, I'm not, I haven't gone deep diving into them. I don't need to go deep diving into them. I know their hearts are in the right place. But I did see in my group uh, this week, and I know how the far left operate, right? And Because I've seen their documents. I, I'm fairly wise to the stuff. They have a playbook to bring people on for their activism. And I've read their playbook. And we can just look at their playbook and, and turn it around right against them. But I just seen, just to put the point on it, in my group, someone joined this week and they threw a poll in. Do you think patriotic alternative are uh, something now really sly? Now, and to me, I I know patriotic alternative are stand out in in the UK as in for certain idea uh, for certain ideas that most other people wouldn't express. And so I know that there's you know they're not what this guy is saying, but I don't know if any of you seen it. But they threw the poll in, and it was something like, do you think they're controlled or something like that? You know, the usual shit, smear campaign. And uh, I put a glowy, you know, the glowy gif or the glowy sticker on it? You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I responded to, because I try not to censor people in the chat, you know what I mean? No matter what kind of shit they put in, even if I don't agree with it, I'm not, I'm like a bit of a, I'm like a mini, tiny Andrew Torba. Like, I try not to censor anybody, do you know what I mean? And uh, I just put a glowy sticker on it because, like, what are you like? 
you're shitting on the only people in the UK that actually call out the, the Zog element or the different things, you know? And uh, I just thought that was funny. I don't know if any yeah. seen it, but uh, I didn't. I tried to tag Sam Elier, one of the lads in it, but I don't know if they're still on, if they're still on the group or whatever. But yeah, look, I know lads come hard after you. We get that here on this. That means you're you're on the right track. When you start getting the flack and they start start giving you shit, you know that you're righteous. You know. I was just going to say there are, there are people with character defects that have ended up being asked to leave patriotic alternative and then they just become obsessive and they try to cause as much trouble as they can for PA. And then you've also got the people on the left as well. And, and this is why PA are successful because they, they don't allow people in there with character defects. You know, it, it's very important. And when they speak about things, they speak about things in an objective way that stays within the law. And they keep things within the law, so that you know that that's why they haven't had so much trouble as, as these other groups, and also because the people that are involved have, have been doing it for decades. You know, Mark's been doing it for decades. He he really knows what he's doing, and, and he's really genuine. Any anybody that um, tries to subvert that or or tries to get at them as as really must have an ulterior motive, because uh, you know, as you say, they're genuine people, and they're doing good work. That's why people go after them. Yeah, I think the thing I'd say about PA, I'm not a, a member of anything for my, my own reasons, but I, I don't see them ever becoming a, a political party and uh, getting into kind of Westminster anyway. But I've always said, I've said this to Laura herself, that I see them more as an effective, highly effective pressure movement where they are constantly trying to shift that pendulum over to window or whatever uh, in our direction. And you're seeing that more and more. And when we talked about the, the kind of far-right label they're throwing about now, anytime I see journalists like putting out these hit pieces like they've done a million times with, with PA or locals, because one person in there, a local that was affiliated with PA in some way, that means all of them are people. But anyway, the, the far-right label now is just like laughed off because you're, they're just throwing it about oh, left, right and centre. Can yeah. I, hold on there for a sec. Hold on. There, hold on there, lads. I just want to come in. I, I don't know, like, in this day and age, right, there's nothing you can't take off the table. Like, you look at the, the Deagle. I was saying this before we went live. You look at the Deagle forecast. People say, oh, that's crazy. That's conspiracy. You know, how could the population of Ireland go down to a 1.2 million? Like, it's madness, right? Well, on the other side of that, they've had interventions in, you know, you know, stuff that's questionable and a lot of people have partook in that and there's you can't rule it out not that that's I, I i you know we don't want that to happen right but just to pull not to pull you up a clive but just to say to you oh i can't see um patriotic alternative ever getting into power and and there's there's a similar case here in ireland we've got people who discredit the national party and justin barrett like some people love him some people hate him and he, you know, he makes mistakes and he, you know, but he's a patriot. And the thing is, it is wild and it's a wild card in Ireland. And in your wildest dreams, you're thinking no one's ever going to buy into like the death penalty coming into Ireland. Nobody's ever going to buy into that. But like at the same time, we're living in such uncertain times. As a Christian, you could say some Christians think, oh, this is the end times. Other Christians, you know, everybody, and if you're Kali Luga, if you're in the Hindu, and if you're a new ager, you're going through the age of, uh, you're going into the age of Aqu Aquarius or whatever. So this, uh, you know, apocalyptic outlook or whatever resonates through all the different uh, religions, all this kind of stuff. Basically, what I'm trying to say to you is 
the order from chaos, the Hegelian dialectic and all of this is in play. And I'm not trying to discredit anything, but there's black swans. Like no one in Ireland could have seen. We were disheartened. We were miserable. We went through the lockdown and all the Irish bent over and they took what was given to them. And some of them took it three times. Uh, a lot of them took it three times. And some of them bowed out after three times. But a lot of them is you're talking 80, 90% of them maybe bent over three times. So all of that's still sitting there. But it shows now that the fight in Irish people were looking at Ireland back then. It's like Ireland will rise, Ireland will rise. At the moment now, you're seeing a little bit of a popular uprising, which has taken us by, we were down in the dumps. We were miserable after, you know, three years of misery, what went on here. Um, you know, everybody knows without going too deep into it with the, the lockdowns and all the crazy shit. And there's hope there. So just for what I'm saying to you, Clive, is don't lose hope and don't think like, oh, patriotic alternative are out of the game. And I don't think the National Party are out of the game or Irish Freedom Party. I think black swan events. I think order from chaos. Not that we're going to create the chaos, but that, that you know what I mean? There's there's things that could come out of the blue, bolt from the blue, yeah. black swans. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, don't, yeah, we, we all have a lot of hope like to be had. Yeah. That wasn't like a, meant to come across like a black pilling thing where I think there's, there's no hope. Like, I'm very hopeful for the kind of activism and pressure they're putting on uh, them and groups like them. Uh, as well as that, when I mean, when I said they're not going to see political power, but they're not going to be allowed to. I think they've registered countless times as a party and they've been rejected. And when you look at the, the kind of smear campaigns and how his, hysterical MPs and MSPs are being when they show up anywhere. Like Sven was talking about a, a Scottish politician that was, uh, she was essentially wanting to get them prescribed for the protest they put on in Erskine. And when you look at that Erskine protest, they organised it out of the way. They had a, a scaffold. They said speeches. Uh, they opposed the, the migrants being housed. And then they've they've went home. There's There's been no extreme illegal language. They've not uh, breached the hotel to pull out migrants and ship them home. It was just a, it was, it was peaceful by, and I don't mean the BLM peaceful, I mean legit peaceful. But then there's, there's politicians wanting to get them prescribed and saying it's it's uh, domestic terrorism. And these are all the words that people are using. And I think Sven was right enough. I think they're, they're scared because they're, they're effective. Yeah, there's another point there as well. I mean, when Patriotic Alternative was formed, it wasn't formed with the idea of let's form a political party. That that was secondary. It's, it's as much about building a community as it is about putting on these protests. You know, we have lots of cultural events that we go along to and we get involved in, and there's very much a community side of things, which I don't think um, nationalism has really seen before in, in such a way where the community building side of it is more important than anything else. And then the the building a political party side of it, that's all coming second. And as you say, they've had problems with the electoral commission. But, you know, rather than thinking, well, we've got to be a political party. The end justifies the means the way that we're doing it. The means are an end in themselves, you know, just by going out and meeting good people and people that want to, you know, look out for their people that love their people and want to do their best for their extended family. You meet up with people like that and you swap ideas and you, you get a community building and you get a, a trust building and you can really trust people and people are looking out for one another. And 
it's just that that side of it is is more important than anything else i think because then people see that and they see us protesting and, and they think well you guys are really professional you've you got something there that you know other people haven't got like lots of energy for a start and well with and kept keeping within the law and i say that's because they, they keep the bad characters out so it's the community building side of it that, that takes precedence and also then you can you can draw attention to things by putting on these protests and then if we can get past the electoral commission through the, the hurdles they put in our place and uh, get registered as a political party then, then that's a bonus but that's not what you know the whole thing is about it's not like oh yeah. be all on ending. we've got to be that you know i the that's kind of the, the main point I was kind of getting across to Laura was your energy should be just focused on political pressure and activism, which she agreed with. And I think you've kind of said there, Sven, that's kind of the 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 main purpose of PA, uh, the political getting in, involved in becoming a party was secondary. But uh, I had a point that I was going to make and it's kind of just vanished. But I know, sorry, on your... Uh, you're talking about community. It is key. If you have a an active community, uh, loads of people are... They, if something's going on locally, that's when you see the, the uprising. I mean, you, you get like, local councillors, MSPs, MPs. If there's an organised community standing against what they're doing, that's when you're going to see the change. Right, can I ask you on that? Because I agree with everything you said. And... and um exactly what was said there that the patriot patriotic alternative it's not it's not centered around activism it's centered around nearly brotherhood you didn't use that 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 term but it's fraternity it's you know looking out for one another it's you know you know we are family we are you know we're we're skinning the game together we're, we're a tribe we're the one people and that's very very important but the question i want to ask is because a lot of us are only new and we're only finding our feet in all this and we're only getting we're only getting waking up to the full extent of what needs what we need to do to survive. And I think a lot of people like are discrediting say the National Party and that I, I try and think outside the box. And <clears throat> I know that it's crazy that I know that in Ireland at the moment, right now, no the vast majority out of five million people or whatever's here would not support the death penalty under any circumstance. But yet we have a little party there and they are if we get in, we're gonna have the death penalty. Or if we get in, we're going to take away abortion. And I, I agree with both of them, or one of them I might question a little bit, the death penalty one, you know, that's something we'd have to tease out. But um, I'm definitely kind of against abortion in, you know, a, like widespread abortion, uh, you know, in principle, I'm against abortion, I'm a Christian, you know. So that is a hard sell here. The 99% of the country that they they want to kill the babies, they want to, uh, you know, they're not they're not on board with the death penalty. Do you know what I mean? They're not on board with a lot of our well, positions, right? But the, well, hold on, the... so let me put in a nutshell for you, right? But I do yeah. think times are changing. I think there could be black swans here coming down the pipeline. I think. Um, remember Donald Trump came out not long ago. He's like, oh, look at China, get the drug dealers. We're gonna we just hang them quick trial and then we'll hang them right i'm looking at trends i'm looking at trends like uh, you know your man uh, the, the the italian fellow he does the trends journal yeah i'm looking at trends I, I i think the pendulum could snap back in a big way and i i don't know what kind of catechism or 
war or whatever it is, strife in the middle. But I do think that's the direction we're going. Are we on the same page with that? So, like, the most resilient people, the preppers, like, this is why this is off-grid Ireland. Like, that we were, I started this up at the beginning of COVID because they were going to put us in camps. They, were, they potentially were going to lock us up. The rhetoric was to genocide us. It was getting really hairy. And it just, the, the, the script just flipped real quick. And um, so a lot of us have been prepping and we've got food. We, you know what I mean? Is this the resilient, like, are we to be the, you know, to be the, the not, we're the real people. We are the ones who have skin in the game, the stock of the land. The, you know what I mean? We're the entrenched natives. We're going nowhere. We're going to slog it out to the end. That's the kind of spirit I think we're in. Well, I think that more and more people are becoming aware of how frequent psyops are used. And I was wanting to make a point on the abortion thing you mentioned. I'm uh, extremely pro-life. <laughs> but I think it should be banned completely. Uh, I don't buy into the, the kind of argument where they say, what if the mother's life is at risk? I wouldn't class that as an abortion. That's, that's a, a medical procedure that the, if the mother could choose, they wouldn't she wouldn't go through. So I say like a life same thing is a separate thing. That's not abortion. The majority of abortions are done out of convenience and, and a lot of people don't know that. Uh, they, they think that uh, abortion no, is this how would, you with, how would you deal with the rape and the incest thing and I'm pro-life so I'll just put that out there I'm pro-life but just yeah. in your own I, how would you deal with those kids, the hard cases? Well, I think with, with the whole rape case uh, the issue we're seeing just now is the kind of the feminists have pushed for long enough that there's this rape culture no one believes you there's no point in reporting things whereas if you encourage people to report, report rape as soon as they can not only does that uh, is you're more guaranteed to get the person locked up because the, the DNA evidence is there. But as part of going through, reporting the rape, you, you get the, the after pill and you and you go through this process of avoiding that. Whereas if, if you've not, if you've been a, a victim of rape, like, I know it's horrible, worst thing you could probably go through. But if you've not took those steps to try and prevent future rapes, but also I'm not against the morning after pill. I don't think that, that that's that's fair game. But uh, if you've not done that, that, then if you've left it to let, see the the second trimester, that, that's your own fault. You need you need to deal with the the consequences of your actions. Incest is a different one. A lot, a lot of these incest stories, it's, there's a lot of psychological manipulation where they don't really have much of a choice, or they believe having a kid is a good thing. But those are like exceptionally rare. The, but they always operate in the extremes so that they can get wider support. Uh, so like if you, let's say, take Scotland, for example, I'm trying to remember the exact uh, figures offhand, but I'll, I'll actually get that. Uh, it was, I think it was 2020, 2020 was the, the kind of last abortion stats we had. Uh, and there was zero abortions. Here we go. Uh, it was 2020, so... In Scotland, there was 13,815 babies aborted. Only 30 of those abortions were to prevent severe injury to the mum. There were no abortions carried out to save the life. There was no abortions carried out for what, incest or anything. But so you, say you take those 30 and you say, right, those are the exception. What about the 13,700 and whatever? 
What about those ones? And that, that's the kind of conversation that people need to have, isn't it? Operate in the reality. Don't get into these emotional arguments about extremes that really happen. You know, what about these 13,700 lives that could have been saved? Because the, the own government stats say that a lot of people, that the decision to have abortion is all oh, lifestyle. I don't think I'm ready. And it's all like, it used to be safe, legal and real, and that's how it was sold initially. But now it's just safe and legal. And in Ireland, when you had that abortion referendum, I don't know if, if you remember the scandal with Google, is Google was fixing the search results, where if you typed in Ireland abortion referendum, you would just get your your full, the, the first few pages would just be filled with pro-abortion propaganda. So that again, they were psyoped into going, this historically extremely religious nation that would never think about legalising abortion were, were psyoped by bad actors into thinking this was the right choice and it's female empowerment. It's bullshit. bullshit. Yeah, I'm fully in agreement with you there, no chance as well. But I'm, ju I'm just interested in what you were saying there, Gavin, about um, the death penalty, because we just had an MP over here. I think he's the second secretary of the Conservative Party, and he just said we should we should have the death penalty, and I support the death penalty, and he's been really attacked for that in the media. But apparently every time that the public are polled on whether they want the death penalty or not, it's a huge majority say, yes, we want the death penalty. So I, I'm surprised, you know, if, if Ireland is that against the death penalty, if it's that popular over here in the United Kingdom, I'm surprised it's not, you know, that popular over there in Ireland. Have you seen polls that show that? that just, just to come in on this, I, I, and just going from my own personal experience, right, Ireland has only freshly voted in abortion. Ireland has only freshly voted in gay marriage. They voted away their parental rights with the children's referendum back in 2012. They gave away their rights of, as a parent to the state. Now it's manifesting in the schools where your 16-year-old can come home and say, I'm a girl and uh, I, I want to chop off my penis and I'm going to shrink my testicles with uh, chemicals. And that's only come into the light now. And this referendum went was on, what, 2012, 2013, whatever. I remember being a, a young guy in my, in my mid-20s and my red flags went up all over the place. I, w I remember talking to Sinn Féin candidates. I remember saying, and you know what? They were using the buzzwords, the same dog whistles, the same uh, linguistic magic spells that they cast. It's for the children. How could you vote against it? Sure, it's to protect children. It's for it's the children's referendum. It's for the kids. It's for the kids. How could you be for against it? And that was the, the herd mentality, the, the whole ridiculous shit that went on. And now here we are, I don't know how many years later, and it's, I can tell you that's how the government now own your children here in Ireland. And it hasn't been put, the gun hasn't been put to your head in, they haven't, you know, or should I say, they haven't bored their teeth yet, but now they're burying their teeth, where your 16-year-old can go to school, or 15-year-old, whatever, and next thing they're shrinking their balls or, you know, whatever it does to women, sh shrivel up their cervix um, and chopping their, their breasts off that's where we're at now. We're at the, the very start of it here in Ireland. It, I know we've had it here and, and some have gone abroad and went to the Tavistock in the UK and all that, but now it's becoming wholesale. It's like when abortion came in, now it's an industry. And we've had people on here and they've lived with people, like those hospitals never wanted to uh, administer abortion. Uh, they, it was completely against the ethos. A lot of the hospitals had been founded on uh, the Catholic uh, kind of, they were founded by the, the church. Now myself, I'm, I wouldn't identify as a Catholic myself, 
But um, that's my most of my family will be. The other side of my family are Jehovah's Witnesses, believe it or not. My grandfather had converted, I don't know how many years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. So I have half and half in my kind of lineage. And um, I've other things actually I want to touch on, and the abortion thing, which is very dear to my heart, and I don't expose often, but I have not died, and I, I will say it out now in about two minutes. But um, I think the whole thing uh, from start to finish is, I don't, I, I just, well, we'll keep it to the, we'll go back to the, say, the abortion issue for a second, because I may clear that up now after dropping that bomb. But at the end of the day, I, as myself, I don't know who my father is, right? So this is a big thing. I have no idea who my father is. It's split between two people. One of them is passed away. And it's it's a horrible thing. You only know who half your lineage is. You don't know, you know. And on, on that level, a lot of people in my family wouldn't accept that. That is a big deal that that's, you know, oh, that's nothing. Get over it. You know, you had a good life. You were looked after. You were, you were spoiled. You want on this holiday. You had this life, whatever. But when the fucking rub hits the road or when the sun sets in the evening, you don't know who half your lineage is. So you're missing a grandparent and a grandmother on the other side. You're missing uncles and aunts, cousins. You're missing half your whole existence as a, your, ethnic, your ethnicity, your lineage, whatever else. So that's my experience. And where that came about, I don't um, hold any grudge against my mother or anything like that. She was young and naive and all that, you know, we all life is life. And um but for someone like that to come into the world myself, it's um it's very important to to know where you come from, your lineage, your everything. That's why the elites are sitting there, oh, you know, and they trace themselves back to from start to finish. And um for ourselves as a people and as an ethnicity and the the sanctity of life is very important because only half my family were fundamental uh radical christian jehovah's witnesses and the fact that the other side were devout catholics and the fact that abortion was illegal i might not be here i probably would not be here and what's going on here now in ireland is i grew up in school and we had uh down syndrome kids and we had in my life i've known them all my life in different you know realms of existence and friends and through in school and different areas of contact and we've grown up around Down syndrome kids and their, their, their life is valid and, you know, there's a sanctity there. They deserve to live. And what's after happening and transpired in Ireland with this abortion, and it's been exposed, but obviously the mainstream media won't run with it because they're, they're, um, they've been, what do you call it, when they've been taken over, they've been co-opted. So there's a genocide going on in Ireland, apart from all jabs and all that nonsense, that there's no Down syndrome been born. So in certain areas in Europe, they don't, they didn't have, they didn't grow up the way the Irish did, where we all knew a Down syndrome kid and we loved them and they were our friend and they were in school and they were our buddy and whatever. We all the contact points. A lot of places didn't have that in Europe because they had abortion. And what's happening now in Ireland, I think they said that 90% of fetal abnormalities that are Down syndrome have been aborted since the law came in. So I see on on the Down syndrome point. If you were to question that further, it's basically a coin flip. They don't know that the child has definitely got Down syndrome. It's they they base it on like the the amount of fluid in, in certain areas. Well, uh, in our experience, that there's a risk that Down syndrome might be a thing. And I've got 
four children myself and we refuse the Down syndrome test. I, I don't care. But either way, like healthy baby, brilliant. If they get Down syndrome, well, that's that's something that, that we'll deal with. Like, I, I, like yourself, I've, I've got a family member that's got Down syndrome. She's a lovely young woman. She's hilarious. She has a laugh. Like, but it is a coin flip at the end of the day. So these people are getting these tests and they're saying potentially, and then they're aborting a, a healthy baby or, or a Down syndrome baby. Like, I think they shouldn't have done, done regardless, but say if it was, we want to eliminate the, the Down syndrome thing. Like, it's not a 100% guarantee, so you could be aborting healthy children. No, but it's just for a common, as an Irish thing, like we've only had abortion installed, we've only had the gay marriage, we've only had all that kind of stuff. And the figures were released only in the last month or two that most of these, whatever the way they pick it up, that they've been aborted. And we had, I think, I don't know if we had a, we, the far left have actually had a Down syndrome guy. Um, he was using them, they were using them for something in one of their mad Marxist agendas. Now, I don't think it was the abortion thing. But I thought in my head, if they had their way, those people that are putting you up to this, you wouldn't even be alive. And I know I'm not saying that I wish them dead or anything. I'm saying that that's what they've installed here in Ireland. Like These are fresh wounds here. And for me as a person, like I was an illegitimate child, if that's what you want to say, or you know what I mean? I was outside wedlock and all, oh, whatever. I'm not, not, I'm this isn't a poor me. I'm just saying that the chances are I probably wouldn't be here with the new regime. That's coming to Ireland. And that's not yeah. to be, oh, poor me, poor me. That's a fact. That is a fucking stolen cold fact. No, I completely get the point you're making, 100%. Sorry, Sven, on you go. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, um, there's, you know, there's lots of people already that aren't here because of that law. I mean, it's it's sick what what um, these women are doing to, to their children i i remember when i first heard about it and um, i remember being really shocked and not not actually able to believe it that um women that were pregnant mothers would uh, actually murder their child but you're saying there about um there's there's other sides to it as well to the to the medical industry so much of the medical industry is based upon them taking cells from aborted fetuses it's not just that these mothers are killing the fetuses it's what they're doing with them afterwards you know, they, they, they've got a cell line, a culture line that they've used for vaccines. So when people are getting vaccinated, it's coming from a, a, a cloned cell line from an aborted fetus. You've got um, things like from, um, I think it's even from like male baby genital, genitalia is actually used for some kind of cosmetics that they use. I mean, yeah, there's a whole it's, it's, body parts. It's so sick. It's, it's, it's very like, it's, Okay. Sorry to interrupt, but it's it's baby foreskins is what you're referring yeah. to. Yeah, I mean it's it's just satanic, isn't it? That's the only word you can say for it is it's satanic. Now years years ago, I think it's about about what, about two thousand years ago, in Phoenicia, what they were doing, they found these um these jars that had all these babies and and children in, and effectively what they what they've been doing is they they've been human sacrificing their babies. In, and there was like a little prayer that was in there in exchange for economic prosperity. So they were killing their babies back then because they thought it would give them economic prosperity. You, you travel forward 2000 years and you've got the same thing happening today. 
you've got these mothers that think, well, I'm going to have to kill my baby because I want to have a career. That's that's more important. I don't, I don't want a baby to cramp my style. And they end up killing their baby and then they end up having to live with that decision for the rest of their lives. But it's exactly the same thing, isn't it? You know, back then it was called um, like worshipping Moloch. You know, you probably heard about that and where, where they used to sacrifice the babies to Moloch. Well, that did used to go on. And there's all evidence of it in uh, in Carthage. Uh, it was what, what the Romans were saying about these um, Phoenicians that were in Carthage. They, they were murdering their babies. And you, yeah, we're no better today. It's the same thing that's going on. Uh, I guess, you know, it was, I mean, we've had abortion since the 60s in the United Kingdom. But when they changed the gay marriage, I think that was only like four or five years um, in front of the United Kingdom. And I mean, that's shocking enough that they, they brought that in. One final thing here, earlier you said like um, uh, out in Scotland and how from 16 they'll be able to self-declare. Self well, the guidance that went out to the Scottish teachers was that from the age of four years old, teachers can diagnose a child as being transgender and then start socially transitioning them without telling the parents. And they're yeah, actually I'm, advised to do that. Did I actually hear what you just said? A teacher yeah. at four four years of age. At, yeah. You, yeah, you're not, you're, you're not telling the truth. Come on. No, I, I made a pretty. I think it was like a twenty-five or maybe even forty-minute video. I need to look back, but on that exact issue, uh, when you talk about the the state owning your children in Ireland, that's a hundred percent the direction we are heading in. Because uh, no, 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 but I'm not trying not to be smarty. Are you serious? Like at four years, I. Just repeat yeah. that. If yeah. that's a fact. Like I'm not trying to put you down. That's absolutely mind blowing. Teachers can diagnose them. Teachers can diagnose them, socially transition them without telling the parents. And that's what was going on in Scotland. And now in Wales, that same course, that same ideology is now being implemented in Wales from August last year. Um, the the sex education materials was going to be the same as in Scotland. So effectively with, with the same advice. That the teachers can diagnose it. They don't need a doctor yeah. to do it. Teacher can do it. And the justification for that that they used was uh, for not informing the parents. If if the teacher believes that the child thinks it would be detrimental to their mental well-being in some way, let's say the parents wouldn't approve, they can then make that decision to exclude the parent from that. Well, say you send your little kid Martin to nursery to nursery or primary school, uh, and then they say, I feel like a girl. They could be addressed as Mary in the school, but then as soon as they leave the school gates, they're back to Martin. And it's, it's insane. It does sound like a joke, it's not. Uh, another thing they're, they're trying to push just now is a thing they're calling a, a trans conversion therapy ban, which they use that language intentionally. Where when you hear conversion therapy, you think electric shock therapy and sending her away to camps to correct her behaviour. No, no, conversion therapy includes things like group prayer. Uh, if the child, because they've admitted that this ban would primarily target children, if the child decides, actually, I'm not transgender, it was just a phase, they believe that child is not fully equipped to make that decision, it's not consensual because of the social pressures and the power imbalance. And the only um, the only solution they want in place for these trans children is trans-affirming care, 
which any professional that would say, let's say if they go and see a psychologist, a doctor, even the parents, if they said, listen, I don't think this is the best move for you, it could be a phase, maybe you're just a tomboy. If you somehow put off their gender journey, that's conversion therapy, and you could potentially get the social work to your door. You could lose any of your professional licenses because it's conversion therapy. That's the extreme they're going to. It's it's essentially conversion therapy in reverse, basically. It's, it's transgender conversion therapy, but the only solution to this problem is uh, hormone replacement therapy and genital mutilation. There's no really avoiding that either. Once they've socially transitioned, they found out that they, you know, that's it, they go on that path for life. Sorry, please. No, no, you're cool, guys. No, just we're gone over a bit of time, and I, I'm thinking in my head, this is such a an in-depth uh, podcast, and I was thinking to myself in my head, it's like we're trying to get good admins, and we're trying to get people to give us a hand with different socials and stuff, because like we're only myself and Patricia and a few admins we have, like there's so much to be doing, and I was just thinking specifically with this podcast, like we could it could nearly be split into three. You know, it could be split into a three series if you had people that could help you because we're all swamped with stuff. But anyway, on that, what you're saying there, I agree 100%. And um, I think we should uh, have to continue with on. Yeah. I think it would like, yeah. All, all I'll say on that is if anyone's interested, I know, we're, as you said, we're short for time. Uh, if you want to go into my YouTube channel, just type in No Chance. I've done a long video with all the receipts about this conversion therapy ban. There's also things in there about the, is, which Fen was talking about, is the social transition in its schools. But that's all there, if you want to have a look. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. That's I lost my train of thought, right? That's the question I wanted to ask you. What was the transition period? Like, like it looks like this is, in Ireland now, it's only starting. So you once announced that this is the stance we're going to take. And like I said, the children's referendum was in 2013 or whatever that was. Well, you seen, you're saying that this can happen at four years of age in Scotland. What what was the stage before that? Like, what's the sequence of events? That's the kind of like this. You know what I mean? Like, well, as as Sven pointed out, this was just a like social transition, and but there's so many factors involved here. But they start off with it's a social thing they do at school, but then they change the laws where. There's a conversion therapy ban that then means these people are legally required to encourage transitioning. Uh, but the I think the, the standard for a period of time is you have to spend 12 months living as the the other gender before you could get the kind of stamp saying off to go through any oh. form of change. And and that was when you were like you were a, a young adult. Uh but they're, they're getting it younger and younger because they believe, well, they don't believe, I, I honestly don't think they believe it, uh, they might, <laughs> I hope they don't. Uh, they think that if you prevent any form of gender expression as a young child, that is going to lead to them killing themselves and suicide. And that's that's when you see all this over-the-top language that you mentioned earlier, Gavin, but it's, it's just the copy and paste of every country you go to that's pushing this. It's all that if you don't do this, they're going to die. If you don't this, you're evil. Uh, and they, they believe is encouraging this at a younger and younger age will be a preventative uh, measure oh, for like, okay. suicide can and I, mental health issues. Like, like, can I ask, what was the foot in the door? 
because I get I get this is all slippery slope theory. This is the same with the abortion in Ireland. Said, oh, we, we you know there was the hard case, the edge case, and whatever to sold it to the population. But I'm saying this year, you're about probably four years ahead of we are in here in Ireland. Unless we stop it, you're you're not too far. You're ahead of us down the road. But I'm just saying, what was the foot in the door? Did it start with like what's happening here in Ireland, where uh, your child now can transition behind your back as a parent at 16 or whatever? Do you know what I mean? And you, uh, the government will provide a, so uh, psychological care for you to get over your issue, while they enable the child to you know, go down that destructive path. I'm just trying to get the sequence of uh, events because we're, we're a few years behind you if you get the... the yeah, right. yeah, no, no, I completely appreciate the, the concern because if you're not quick about it, it will, will hit you pretty pretty fast. But what the Scottish government are great at doing is they'll, they'll fund all these activist organisations like LGBT Youth Scotland, Scottish Trans Alliance, like all these groups, they'll fund them with taxpayer money to then create an issue. So they've, they've already got this planned, uh, it's in the back pocket, but they just need someone to bring this forward to Parliament. So if you look at like, the video I put together, the, all these witnesses that were used to form this bill, this new law, they all receive government funding. They all receive taxpayer money. It's like, so they basically, they've had this in the back pocket. They've then paid these activists to bring it forward. And then they went, since we've listened to these witnesses, we'll then make that law. Now, the, the conversion therapy ban hasn't passed yet, but they're heavily pushing it. And they've admitted they want Scotland being more extreme than other countries that have already done it, like Australia's done it. Uh, Canada's got a form of it as well. So that this exists, but Scotland want to take it to the, the extreme. So they're basically funding their own laws to go through. And I don't know if Ireland do the same. I'd probably imagine so, because a lot of these things are just textbook. <laughs> but uh, that's kind of how they get the foot in the door, is fake outrage by people they pay. Well, I think there's also... Um... There's a guidance that if somebody says they are the opposite gender, then you have to affirm that gender, because if you don't affirm that gender, you're being transphobic and you're then opening yourself up to um, charges, basically. So we've ended up with doctors now that can't say, well, it might be anorexia, you might be bipolar, it might be autism, because that is denying that person's chosen gender. You're not affirming their gender. That's what all this affirming gender care is about. Yeah. So professionals can't even say it might be something else. And I think that's, that's what has led to the, the, this diagnosing of children at the age of four. I think that's what's led to it. It's, it's funny you mentioned that. They, and that's, that's the exact example I used in, in my video. I'm like, could you imagine you had anorexia, affirming care, where someone comes in, they're a skeleton, and the doctors need to go, no, you're right. You are a fat bastard. You need to cut out. <laughs> what you're eating, like you think they were maniacs, like they're evil fucking scientists just playing about with someone's life. But when it comes to transgenderism and uh, life changing hormones and life changing surgery, somehow there's there's an exception for that. But uh, as it's as absurd as affirming anorexia, we need to get the more more people that know about this, the better, because it, it is just steamrolling its way through the schools and parents are only just finding out about it. I think there's, there's been a huge increase, I think like 10,000% increase in young girls now claiming to be transgender. And it works like a social contagion. 
like there'll be there'll be one at the school and suddenly there'll be like half a dozen in the school in that year and it's like a, a fad or a phase that they go through only this is one where they don't where they're not allowed to change to anything else and once they've been socially transitioned by by the doctors or by the school uh, as no chance was saying there you, you can't try to say to them well you might actually be wrong because that's not affirming the gender then they get put on um, the puberty blockers and the cross hormones and they don't even know what the end result of that is they do, they do know if you take the opposite sex if sex is hormones your bones aren't going to um, grow properly so we've ended up with people like with with their spines they've got spinal fractures like you shouldn't get them until you're in your 80s and 90s you've yeah. got people in the 20s that have got them and they're left infertile like unable to enjoy sex this is before you then get into the, the physical mutilations cutting the breasts off um if if females want to make um like a, a neo neo genitals they have to cut the skin off on on their arm and then fold that around so they have like a a, a great big cut in their arm and also when they give them these puberty blockers then they go on to um have these operations it's very very difficult for them to actually change the um the genitalia of the male to make it a facsimile of a female if they've taken puberty blockers so again they then have to take i think it's skin from the um intestine uh, because and then you end up with like intestinal problems and and um bacteria yeah. growing in there awful things There's, some of these detransitioners the things they've talked about is just terrific you know it makes you like cry if you know? take the lied to if you take the hormones too early, that stops the growth of the penis, which means it's impossible to invert. So you're right, they need to take uh, skin from elsewhere. But when it comes to the females that get the kind of makeshift penis, I know that's a very graphic, sorry for those that are maybe having supper. <laughs> but they do, they take the skin of the arm and they basically form this burrito penis uh, and they take skin from inside of the mouth so that the the... The head is a different shade, so it looks more penis-like. It's just like Frankenstein operations. But the, the biggest lie that they sell to people is, see if you take hormone blockers, you're just pausing puberty. There's no long-term side effects. You can just restart puberty whenever you want. That's just bullshit. That's activists. No, that's like, 100%. Nonsense. Like not, sorry to cut across you. I 100% agree with the two of you. And... Clive, I think you're the coolest dude, and the same with yourself, um, bro, Radio Albion, um, the absolute coolest dudes, and it's just the time that is in it, you know, to keep them snappy so lads will freaking listen to what we're saying. I think this one needs to be put into clips, and I was thinking to myself, obviously, YouTube are after shafting me, but it's this is the kind of help that we need is people that can are good at social media, or people that can clip, stiff, clip uh, these podcasts and maybe create, you know, we'd have a playlist and you can have like a, you know, I'm not saying YouTube because we need to get away from it, but you know, this kind of a side channel with the clips or whatever, because the, the quality yeah. tonight, that's absolute quality tonight, honestly, the Dewey and myself, it's absolute quality and all sorts. Um, I just want to bring Patricia in there because we're running over time, but boys, I, I, my, I, your bros of mine from, <laughs> from now on, we're, we're definitely bros. Um, Patricia wants to come in there and, and we have to go on just for the time's sake but, uh, but uh, definitely we're going to be hooking up again and we'll maybe you we can keep it on after we stop the recording and that. but uh, yeah, legends yeah. No, so, Sorry Gav that we've been off on a, a million times I think both me and Sven could probably talk forever if you would let us so I apologise we didn't yeah. 
cover all the topics that were meant to, but I've really enjoyed this regardless. It's been an interesting conversation, whether That's it be the history it's like, or... I'm well able to talk as well. No, it's been it's been great. It's been great content, great chat. We're in the right uh, game. We're in the right game. <laughs> see, we'll see, lads. See, that's it. That's the whole point of these of these uh, discussion uh, chats that I have organised with Gavin. It's just something generic that flows from the three, and. I had given the three of you topics to discuss tonight and uh, you didn't even need them. And that's what the whole point of this chat is. It's just basically like you're in a bar or in a restaurant and you're just mulling over things that are important to you. So well done, the three. It was a fantastic um, uh, listening to the three mull over, um, you know, different things that are important to you. But Donny, I'm just going to, I'm I'm very conscious because you've been so generous with your time. And the only question I really have is, I don't know if you guys have been um, paying attention to what's going, over, going on over in America. Um, there, I think it was last Friday, there was a huge explosion on a train in, Ohio, in Palestine, Ohio. And um, seemingly today now there was two different explosions in two different parts of the U.S. Um, what what do you think is this? What's going on over there? Um, is this um, a distraction from other things that's going on, or or what do you guys make of it? No, I think it's too early to tell whether it's terrorism yet. But it, they they did try to cover it up at first, didn't they? What the um, what happened in Ohio? And they've got small animals died straight away. So it's going to be over time, there could be serious injuries to the people that were there. But you don't know if it, if it was an accident or, or what it was. And they do seem to be covering it now on the news. I've seen it on the BBC today. Um, and people are saying that that's all because of the noise that was made on Twitter about it, which wouldn't have happened before Elon Musk took it over and sort of loosened things up a little bit there and, and stopped some of the censorship. So that has got it out onto the mainstream news. But I think it's too early to really say, you know, what could have caused it. I mean, people are saying, well, it, it could be, you know, terrorism. It could could be retaliation from Russia. But I don't think that's that's really their style. Um, yeah, I mean, it could just be an accident. We do have staggering levels of incompetence with all the diversity quotas. Uh, we have lots of people in important positions that shouldn't be there. That, that have no merit to actually be there. They're not qualified to be there, but they've been put in those positions because of what race they are or who they sleep with, basically. Now we have these diversity quotas. We're going to see more and more things like bridges collapsing, trains crashing into one another, planes crashing. We're going to see more and more of that as we see people put into positions that they shouldn't be in, that they haven't got there by merit. I mean, that would be my my take on this. It's too early to tell, but I think we're going to see more things like this happening due to accident rather than them even being deliberate. Yeah, that probably... I agree hundred percent. I think it goes back to that. I don't know if you remember the the bridge that was built and the champion this new bridge that was built because it was an all female engineering team and it was all about like shortlist created diversity quotas to get women in these positions and they weren't fully qualified. And then the bridge collapsed and killed a lot of people. Like it's, uh, I'd probably echo a lot of it what Sven was saying. Like meritocracy is key. If you happen to be a woman black, brown, white, if you're the best person for the job, you're the best person for the job. Look, end of story. There shouldn't be any quotas in place because you will see disaster after disaster if that's the primary focus. And you're seeing that with government and industry just now. It's, it's mad.
That's great, lads. Um, uh, I, I appreciate your um, answer to that. And uh, just just kind of a more kind of light, lighthearted. Well, not really lighthearted. What the hell is going on with Sam Smith? <laughs> I, I can answer that, actually. Confused. Go on, go on. You answer it. Uh, no chance. He's he basically got, see when people let themselves go. Uh, like, used to be a kind of respectable man who's he was gay, he was like one of these kind of idols that people looked at. But he ended up letting himself go, getting overweight. And instead of people focusing on, he's a fat mess, just let himself go. He's now going, I'm this in between genders, and now I'm going to put on all these stunts that take the kind of publicity from that. And you see that with like a lot of these feminists, the they, thems, all these people, that all of their identity is based on, I'm not this horrible troll that I've created myself, that I'm responsible for. It's all the oppression in the outside world that has led to all these things and don't focus on my own failures. It's the system that's oppressing me and that's in a Sam Smith game. He's let himself go heavily and he's <laughs> he's trying to convince himself that it's because he's a in between gender. Yeah, he's a warped sexual hedonist. You know, I think what he's basically shown is that he was damaged at some point when he was a child, and and that's what he's doing basically is expressing that damage. That's that's the way that I see it. Anyway, I do think there needs to be more studies done on that the the correlation between gay, lesbian, transgenderism with child abuse. Right. Like, I discovery. Yeah, there's a huge link with it, and the, the way they they deal with it as well. Um, if you take Milo for instance, Milo Yiannopoulos, um, he talked about how when he was 12 or 13, um, he was engaged in a anal gangbang with drag queens and a black guy, and they were all in their 30s. And the way that he dealt with that is to say that he was the predator. He was the one in charge. He was the predator. But you look at that, you think, no, you were 13 years old. That that was abuse. You were abused. But the way that he's dealt with that is to say, I I was the predator. I was in control. And that's probably what led him on to becoming homosexual because he says he's, he's turned his back on that now. But that would have been what it was. And I think many, many, many homosexual males, that, that if you say to them, what was your first sexual experience? It was with an older man when I was like 10, 11, 12 years old. And that's what that's what they will say. So there is a link with it, but I'm not sure that they actually put it in that way that abused children turn into being homosexuals. They look at it and they say, "Oh, if only there had been somebody older who who more older men around when I was that age, it, that would have been better." That's the way that they look at it, which is quite shocking, really. But they turn it around in their heads, and that becomes the way that they deal with it because they don't want to see themselves as as abused children. I think, but that that's at the root of most of it, I would say just from what I hear from, from them talking. Um, there was another guy that did an interview at um, a nightclub as well, and it was a gay nightclub, and he thought he would interview the gays and um, ask them what their first sexual experience was. And just about all of them, their first sexual experience was as a child with an older man, and that was just about all of them. But I don't know that there's been any studies that have been done to link it, because they'll probably say, you know, well, it's homophobic to, to link the two together. But it, it it's really shocking when you think of, this big push now to have LGBTQ clubs at schools and drag queens in with younger well, and younger children. Sorry to interrupt, Sven, but you saw that with monkeypox, where that was the next 
the current thing, that was the scary thing to be worried about. But then as soon as people noticed that a lot of these, like, there was a lot of children that were around gay couples that were getting monkeypox, and then a dog got monkeypox that was also a gay couple's property. <laughs> like, right, let's turn the monkeypox off, let's focus on something else. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's terrific, really. When you when you think about it, it is really shocking, you know. And and again, they don't want to. The teachers aren't going to tell the parents that the kids are at these LGBTQ clubs. I mean, just the idea that you could be there could be a homosexual child. I mean, you wouldn't say a heterosexual child, would you? You just say a child. But they now say they're LGBTQ children, and to be a homosexual is somebody who engages in homosexual acts. So what they're saying are these children have engaged in homosexual acts. Well, that means that they're, they're abused children. They're children. And in most of the cases, it, it would yeah. have been like an older male that abused them. And then instead of saying, we've got a problem here, they're, they're saying, well, rather than that, we'll, we'll, we'll just pretend that it, there isn't a problem. We'll pretend it's normal. And we'll pretend that there is such a concept as LGBTQ children and drag kids and, and trans kids. Um, I think a lot of it goes back, goes back to abuse. Um, but we don't deal with it in that way. We, we try to normalise the results of the abuse, if you see what I mean, by normalising homosexuality in society, LGBTQ clubs for kids. It's just normalising the end result of the abuse rather than putting things in place to prevent the abuse from happening in the, in the first place, which would mean no drag queen story, hour, no LGBTQ clubs, and keeping homosexuals away from kids and saying to them, the, the reason for this is, is because there is that, such, such a high percentage um, of abuse that goes on in that community and all you'd have to do is point the statistics out you know if i think it's like 35 percent of pedophiles in prisons are, are homosexual and yet homosexuals are only two percent of the population so that means they're 15 15 times more likely to be a pedophile so if homosexuals were really concerned about kids they would understand that the whole group needed to be kept apart from kids but they're not. They, they've got activists amongst them who are trying to get as much contact between homosexuals and kids as they can, as if it's like a human right for homosexuals to have access to children. So I think we're going about this in the wrong way as a society. Um, we've looked at it and we said, well, well, we don't want to exclude these people from society. Uh, and we're, we're concentrating too much on trying to be nice to homosexuals. And at the same time, we're ignoring our responsibility to protect our children from, from things like that happening. The, uh, the long, the long and short is it's fat pride for paedophiles. Exactly, and yeah, on that note, and on that note, and on that note, we're going to um, finish the discussion panel um, chat this evening. Um, lads, would you like to stay on? Because I'm sure a few of the um, the listeners there would love to get a chance to talk to you if if you have time. If you don't, it's okay. Um, we'd love to have you back on again. Um, at some stage, you, you both have been absolutely fantastic. Um, it was great chatting you this evening. Yeah, I can stick yeah. around. I can stay for an extra fifteen minutes. Um, can I? Can I just say before we finish up or whatever? Check you can check my work out at radioalbin.com. And if anyone is interested in uh, Christian history, racial history, a very good website to check that out is christoginia.org. That's uh, C H R I S T O G E N E A. Org, and you'll find a lot of um, history that's been hidden from people there. So I just wanted to get those two plugs in before we finish. Or yeah, we well, I'll plug myself as well. Uh, if you just look up No Chance on YouTube, I'm still the top result for some reason, thankfully. So you should find me pretty easily. 
Um, my Twitter is just at Mr. Enchance. You just type that and you'll find it. But yeah, thanks for having us and appreciate the invite and the conversation. Not at all, lads. Uh, Sven and, and Clive, you were absolutely fantastic and so generous with your time. And it was an absolute pleasure listening to both of you. And uh, I'll definitely I'll definitely um, have you back. I'll have your ears burned through the year, getting you back on on different panels and individually as well. And thank you so much for coming on the chat this evening. Thanks for inviting us, Patricia. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I've enjoyed um, talking to Gavin and uh, talking to Clive as well. Um, had a great evening. Thanks. Thanks, lads. I loved to tell you as well. Had a great old time, and uh, we'll definitely have you back. And again, to all that, uh, their alternative history. I think it's the, the true. I think there's truth in it, and we'll have to drill into it all. And I'll throw some of my things I've seen out and see what if we can connect some dots or we can debunk it. But um, yeah. Great having you on, lads. Yeah, guys, and, and just listening in there, oh my God, I'm firstly, I want to say we're both on fire. Gavin, Patricia, thank you very much for bringing these uh, two knock guests. Knock off the recording. Sorry, sorry, John, one second. Knock off the recording, Gav. That's okay. It's all good. Yeah, no, yeah we'll just tie it up and uh, thanks, uh, John's on there 100%. I unmute with John a few minutes ago. Oh, it's just the end of, we're going to just wrap it up to the end of the recording. Lads, thanks for coming on and we'll have you on again, no doubt, 100%. Down, guys.